Namaste from Kathmandu, Nepal. This is Ross. And lockdown is now over. So a lot of things are different around here. Or back to normal, I should say. And this episode is going to be... I don't really know what to call it. Behavioral economics, consumerism, psychology, marketing. I don't know what to call it. But um, these are the things I think about. And that's what we're going to talk about today. thing I aim to capture with this show is differences between the culture that I grew up in, that I'm familiar with, that I spent most of my life in, which is, of course, the U.S. American culture, and then contrasting that with the country that I'm currently in. And I think it's important to do because just like people, just like no two people are the same or even remotely similar, no two countries are even remotely similar. So it's really fascinating when you hear an experience on the ground of what it's like there. And so that's what I'm seeking to do with this episode. And um, I'm just going to tell you about some personal observations today. And I think about Thoreau's quote of, he says, I wouldn't talk about myself so much, but unfortunately I'm confined to the narrowness of my own experiences. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of my experiences in the markets here. I almost said supermarkets, but they're not supermarkets at all, as you'll hear. So with that said, the picture for the episode, which by the way, you can find on Instagram at Peripatetic Podcast or on the blog, peripateticpodcast.wordpress.com is of my favorite chicken butcher that I go to here in Kathmandu. And I apologize if it's windy, I'm on the roof. The wind just picked up a little bit. You probably hear it in the microphone. But anyways, Chicken doesn't come in a styrofoam wrap and cellophane like you do in the U.S., and it's not frozen. Rather, what happens is I cross the street, walk up to the butcher shop, I walk up to the counter, I tell the butcher, uh, I, usually I get a whole chicken or I'll get chicken breast, and he'll ask, do you want it boneless, do you want it skinless, etc. And then, you know what he does? He walks out from behind the counter, he walks out to the front of the shop, which it's a tiny little shop, by the way. It's like, you know, there's barely enough room for me to stand inside of it with the counter and barely enough room for him to stand behind the counter. So he walks out behind the counter, goes out in front of the shop. There's these cages there. There's like three to five chickens in these cages at any time. He grabs one, brings it back inside, and he does what butchers do. He butchers it. And, um, And he makes it to your request. He'll give you... And then you can either... If you're getting chicken breast, you can give them a weight, half kg, one kg, whatever it is that you want. And um, it's it's really inexpensive. A whole chicken is like 500 rupees, which is like $4.50 US. So that is what it's like getting um, chicken here. And the same thing goes if you go to the pork butcher. Actually, pork butcher is different. They'll actually have uh, pre-butchered pork. and then But a goat butcher, same thing. There will be a goat tied up in the back he goes and grabs a goat unless he's already butchered one for the day but um yeah so super fresh it's raised right there right behind the shop and most of the time they live the family lives above the shop and um it's just very local very natural really i mean you're not the way that the american supermarkets are you're so disconnected from the food process that Most people have never seen, most people in the U.S. have never seen a chicken get butchered. So it's a very interesting experience. And 
like I said, that's what I try to capture in this show is that kind of thing. I don't really know how to structure this show, so I'm just going to sort of riff on the topic and continue talking about the experience in a U.S. supermarket. So I haven't been in a U.S. supermarket in six months now, but I've been in them enough to I can clearly picture it in my mind. You walk in the door, usually there's sliding doors. You might get hit with a blast of AC if it's hot out, if it's summertime. It's brightly lit, fluorescent lighting, very high ceiling. There's cheerful music playing, the music which has been studied to know exactly what kind of mood to set that you as a consumer will spend the most amount of money. It's clean, it's organized. There's an assault of, of uh, sensory overload. There's colors, there's for sale signs, um, all this information just hitting you when you walk in the door. And usually a lot, of, a lot of the stores are very strategically laid out. So you walk in and the first section you walk through is the produce section. So you load up on your apples and your lettuce and your carrots and all your healthy stuff. And then you feel good about yourself, right? You're like, I'm gonna be healthy this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna cook some good meals, some fresh meals with some vegetables. And then you keep moving around, all the good stuff's on the outside. You got the milk, the meat, um, the dairy products, the eggs, that kind of stuff on the outside. But then if you gotta go inside to get a spice or some flour or some other sort of ingredient, you're gonna have to cross a whole bunch of stuff to get to it. You're gonna have, you're gonna have to cross the Oreos and the candy and all this processed stuff that is what they actually want you to buy. And the way that the whole thing is laid out is that it diminishes your willpower as you go along. So again, you start with the, the, the healthy stuff, feeling good about yourself, and then you start getting bombarded with, oh, Oreos are two for one or 50% off or all these different schemes of saying the same thing, different, different sales and strategies to, to get you to try to buy something unhealthy or to wander deeper into the aisle and, and get lured into something else that catches your eye. And, uh, and then within the aisle, the, they're very, things are very strategically positioned. So let's use uh, peanut butter as an example. The, the brand name item, the GIF or the Peter Pan or whatever it is, is going to be at eye level. And the consumer or the, the, the brand pays a premium for that real estate on the shelf. Whereas, let's say you're at a, a Kroger grocery, grocery train, the Kroger brand items are going to be down near your knee. They're, they're going to be less visible, and they'll probably be about 60% of the price as the brand name item. But they don't want you to buy that. They want you to buy the brand name item, so they make it more visible, more easy to reach. And then, and then within the sizes of the items, there's these tricks. So the, there might be, with using the peanut butter example, there might be a 10-ounce jar that's $2.49, let's say. And of course... There's strategy with the pricing as well, that using 49 rather than 50. But anyways, okay, so you got a 10, 10 ounce jar for 249 and a 20 ounce jar for 299. So a little bit more, but twice the amount, twice the portion. So what it is, is it's a trick. You're supposed to buy the bigger one. The, the 10 ounce one is a decoy. It's to make it look like you're getting a lot more value. And of course you are, but it's, it's an illusion. It's, it's not, it's not a genuine, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but 
you get the point. It's it's not always a better deal to buy the bigger one, and that's sort of the American mindset is is always buy more, always get more value per ounce. Uh, let's see, what else can I say about this? Yeah, with the different brands, they're usually produced in the exact same factories. So Jif or Skippy or whatever the peanut butter brand, they make their product, they got it rolling down the factory line. At a certain point, they hit their quota, Nothing, the, but the factory line keeps rolling. So you know what they do? They slap on a different label. Instead of the Jiffy or the Skip, it's, or whatever the brand names are, I can't remember peanut butter. But anyways, then they slap on the Kroger brand one, and then they slap on the Target one, and they slap on the Walmart one, and so on. So yeah, it's most of the time, it's the exact same product with a different label on it, a less attractive label and a lesser known brand, so you're not likely to buy it. But anyways... All right, so your willpower continues to diminish as you're going throughout the store. You finally have everything on your list. You go to checkout, and then you're sitting there waiting in line. And you might be waiting for three minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. And they put the most enticing stuff right there at the end. They put the little Twix, the Snickers bar, the things that, the little candy and the little, little dopamine hit items. And they're priced cheap. They're 99 cents, you know, less than a dollar. Doesn't matter, right? So now you've gotten everything you want. Your willpower is completely diminished. What do you do? You load up on a pack of gum, on some Twix, on some Snickers bars, whatever it may be. It's only a dollar, right? Dollar fifty maybe. And then what do you do? You pay with credit card. And uh, I read a, re a, a really interesting book by Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist. Ec economist who uh, the book is dollars and cents cents spelled s-e-n-s-e -E. and he talks about how the more removed from cash you are the easier it is to spend money so so yeah you use your credit card it doesn't there's no pain to it it's just a number on a screen it's not like handing over cash where you, you hand over a 20 dollar bill it hurts a little you're getting rid of something something valuable but you hand over a credit card you get the credit card back it's just a number on the screen not a big deal or, of course, a lot of grocery stores, they do rewards points. So you spend some rewards points, or you earn rewards points. You get another dopamine hit. You're, you're doing something. You're, building, you're accumulating. You're getting something valuable. Or your credit card gets cash back, or points, or whatever. Anyways, that was a long riff on what's all to say going into an American grocery store is an assault on the senses, and it's all very carefully engineered that way. And um, maybe I just know too much about it that it stresses me out a little bit when I'm in, a <laughs> in an American grocery store. Um, and hopefully I didn't ruin them for you. But anyways, so here in Nepal, what's it look like? Well, I usually cross the street here and there's three shops that are nearly identical. They're all family run. They're very small. They carry roughly the same items. And usually, the, like I mentioned with the butcher, the family will live above the shop. And they're just very humble, simple shops. None of the bright lighting. There's no sale signs. There's no price signs at all, actually. Everything's negotiable. But um, anyways, the products they usually carry, tomatoes, onions, cabbage. You get the idea. Produce. And, you know, maybe some bread, maybe some milk. Some, some other staple items like that. You fill a plastic tray, the, the, the shop owner will hand you a little plastic tray, 
you load up your produce onto it. When you're done, you hand it to the shop owner. Shop owner weighs it, gives you your price, and you go on your way. You just you only take what you need. There's no nothing's packaged in plastic. Nothing is. There's no tricks. There's no brand names. Nothing like that. It's just very simple. Which brings up another point. I've mentioned in previous shows that Nepal is cheap, and it's not just because things cost less, though they certainly do.、Um, for example, if you buy a, ki- a kilogram of tomatoes, actually, I don't know what a kilogram of tomatoes would cost you in the U.S.—three or four dollars, maybe five dollars. Here in the, here in Nepal, it'd be thirty rupees. So that's like twenty-five cents. For the sake of simplification, one dollar is a hundred rupees. So one rupee is one penny. So where it really gets cheaper is, you only take what you need. In the U.S., your tomatoes might come in a pre-bundled kilogram, and then you have to pay whatever, whatever it costs. In Nepal, maybe you only need one tomato, so you only, you only buy one tomato. It would probably be like, two or three rupees. Or usually, I buy like a half kilo, and I'll pay fifteen rupees, fifteen cents, for my tomatoes for the next. Two or three days, so that's where you really end up saving a lot of money, and where where ultimately it's a lot more consumer friendly <laughs> here in Nepal. Anyways, I hope this show wasn't too all over the place. I didn't really have a clear plan for it. It was more of an excuse to talk about a topic that I had a conversation about earlier this week, which is just the. Tactics that are used in American grocery stores and marketing retail stores to get you to buy more. Ultimately, everything is carefully engineered in such a way. So yeah, with that,、um, I'm gonna close the show. Actually, I will give you a little update on Nepal. Like I mentioned at the top, lockdown is over. So planning to in the next couple of days. Rent a bicycle, my girlfriend and I, and we're just gonna go ride all over the city. We're gonna we're planning to go back to Tamil, which is the touristy area. We haven't been there at all、um, since lockdown started. And、um, if you know Tamil, you know that's where most of the travelers in Nepal hang out, congregate, and、uh, most guest houses and hostels and that type of thing. It's been really interesting to see the flip that has happened in the media and just sort of the. General zeitgeist that that COVID went from like this huge crisis to like all of a sudden no one's talking about it, and not just in the U.S. where it got it. I understand the, the the riots are kind of taking over the media, but even here in Nepal, it's like no one's talking about COVID anymore. It's like someone flipped a switch and was like, "Yeah, we don't care about this anymore."、Um, which you know, of course, it turned out to not be as deadly as. The initial fears, so that's that was a very positive thing that it's less deadly than anticipated, but it's also interesting to see how quickly it's just become like a non-issue. But I guess the the other problem is now the issue is the economic fallout because it has absolutely devastated the economy here and everywhere, of course. But like, it's just governments have self-destructed themselves with lockdowns and. Um, it's going to be an interesting road ahead. So, this is my totally un- uninformed prediction, but I think in terms of case numbers, we're probably still at the very beginning of this thing. Probably we'll see 
I mean, it took four months for the first million to be reached, and now we're on a pace where every six or seven days there's another million cases reported. And, of course, countries like they're saying India, Indonesia, Bangladesh, Brazil, a few others are underreported by a factor of 10. So just who knows? We might already be over 100 million cases worldwide. But the good thing is it sounds like the virus isn't as deadly as it was anticipated to be. So anyways, um, the airport's supposed to open up in a month here. I'll probably return shortly thereafter, which is ahead of what I anticipated. I thought I wouldn't be home until um, September. That's what I was telling people. Could be earlier than that. They're, they're planning on a July opening as of now. So, yeah, uh, things are good. Hope you're doing well. Talk to you later.